today on Ag News Daily. As we know, two-thirds of all current farmland is set to change hands over the next 25 years. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, coming at you today live from a harvest field. I've been riding around in the combine today in the grain cart, hauling grain in. But it's been great to get across the state of Iowa, at least, and see some folks finally rolling. I'm sure some of you may be listening today through your grain cart or truck or tractor or combine, so we're glad to have you tune in. I think a lot of folks are excited and happy to have some decent weather for now, and harvest continues to roll on. With all that being said, I want to run through really quickly here the conditions crop the weekly crop conditions and harvest report which was released on Tuesday of this week because it was a holiday on Monday there with Columbus Day so pulling those up right now but I've also got to share today is October 16th it's also World Food Day and it's a time to set aside to focus on the importance of having adequate food and nutrition around the world. So this week is, of course, the World Food Prize going on in Des Moines, Iowa. And this year's Nobel, or this year's Global Food Prize winner went out to Simon Groot, and he'll be honored, I believe, tomorrow, Thursday night at the Laureate's Dinner and Banquet. But The 2019 Global Agricultural Productivity Report, which is put together every year in honor of World Food Day, said that as we continue to have this growing population, of course, that 2050 statistic that by 2050 we'll have nearly 10 billion people on Earth, the Global Agricultural Productivity Report says that to meet that growing demand for future food, We need to see farm productivity rise by 1.73% each year, and currently we're only growing by about 1.63%. So not a very big increase that we need to see made, but about 0.10 of a percent to meet that growing global population with food. So happy World Food Day. Enjoy some good food today. Hopefully you get some good home-cooked meals if you're riding around in your tractor or your combine, or just think of, think of a farmer today since it is World Food Day. But as promised, the crop progress reports. Looking here at the harvested acres, U.S. spring wheat is still chugging along at about 94% harvested as compared to the five-year average, which is usually 100% complete on average by this time of year. Looking at the corn harvest, This year, as of Sunday, we were about 22% harvested nationwide versus 15% a week ago, as you'll remember back. And on the five-year average, we're generally about 36% harvested by this time compared to just 22%. If you look at the soybean harvest, we're chugging along there as well, about 26% harvested nationwide but our four, excuse me, our five-year average, we're about 49% harvested by this time of year. So we are definitely slowing way behind. And the Crop Progress Report also showed that corn harvest is still in single digits in Iowa, Minnesota, Michigan, South Dakota, North Dakota, and Wisconsin, which of course are some pretty big 
corn-producing states. So we may be chugging along, finally seeing some combines roll, and I'm sure we will catch right up, but nationwide we are still below our five-year time, five-year average for this time of year. So in other news going on today, we of course mentioned yesterday kind of the big hubbub with the EPA releasing their proposed supplemental rule to calculate the small refinery exemptions from annual biofuel mandates, and it appears that the corn industry and biodiesel industry both are not happy about the announcement. They outlined the proposal which would reallocate that biofuel blending requirements for the next two years. That was something yesterday we weren't quite 100% sure on yet. But this new rule will fill in the details of the deal announced earlier this month on October 4th to help offset that lost demand due to the federal waivers. However, one piece of the puzzle that we didn't have yesterday but do have today that have made some folks a little upset is the agency will use a three-year average to calculate the lost demand based on the number of gallons the Energy Department had recommended exempting rather than a large number of gallons that are actually waived. So still waiting to see exactly what that means, but that does not make folks happy. We saw Senator Chuck Grassley, as well as other Corn State Senators, write in saying that this proposed rule was great news, but not exactly what we needed and doesn't quite do enough. So that is news on that front. Continuing on in our news front for today, I thought this was very interesting as we continue to see hemp become a larger and larger share of the market. Not going to take over millions and millions of acres by any means for 2020, but definitely some folks considering growing hemp in their operations, maybe a couple acres, 20 acres, switching over for the 2020 growing season. And CBD oil happens to be one of the largest uses of the hemp product at this time, used for medical purposes and others. But retail sales of the CBD products in the U.S. are expected to surpass $1 billion in 2019, which is a 133% increase over 2018 sales. By 2024, according to Hemp Industry Daily, The industry, the CBD industry, is expected to eclipse $10 billion, according to the latest projections. I thought that was a crazy amount, $10 billion. And see an annual five-year compound growth rate of about 54%. So we're definitely seeing quite a few folks see hemp as a great alternative, maybe a cash crop for them to consider turning some acres into for the 2020 season and beyond. Looking to some more global news, Pilgrim's Pride has closed their acquisition, their Tulip acquisition. Brazil's JBS South America on Tuesday said that its subsidiary, Pilgrim's Pride, concluded their acquisition of Tulip LTD, which is a United Kingdom company, and they were looking to strengthen their position in the market for pork and have secured that acquisition with Tulip there in the United Kingdom, valued at $367 million. The filing was approved by Pilgrim's Board and funded. And this deal has been going on largely since August when they started this transactional deal, and GBS's stocks rose about 1.41% 
after this acquisition went through. So we're continuing to see JBS hit the news. We continue to also get some news out today, some tricklings and rumors about the trade deal that is to get through or go through here with China. Biotech companies and farmers who use the seed traits appear to be some of the biggest winners from this tentative trade deal with China, assuming that, of course, this agreement does actually go through. There weren't exact details released on what China has agreed to yet, but the U.S. has apparently been pushing China for years now to speed up this approval process for the ag biotech traits, such as that Viptera brand that we saw, that Viptera trait that China sued the U.S. over a few years ago. And so those apparently will be a big winner is to get that process a little more streamlined and easily come through. Another comment that was made by the Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson on Tuesday said that the U.S. and China are eye-to-eye in their understanding of the substantial phase one. It's a positive sign for the agreement, a positive sign that the U.S. and China both are agreeing that it is largely the same agreement that they're both thinking it was. But he also said, their uh, ministry, their foreign ministry spokesperson said that China will continue buying more U.S. farm goods, but he also did not specify that value of purchases. And the rumor has been that it'll be about 40 to $50 billion, but he did not conclude, he did not either, he did not confirm or deny that it would indeed be 40 to $50 billion in agricultural products. So that one we're still waiting on to see if that does come through, when it comes through, etc. And looking at weather, as I mentioned earlier, we finally had some clear skies across the Midwest, but six different climate divisions across the Midwest recorded their wettest March through August period since 1895. Across the states of South Dakota, Iowa, Nebraska, Oklahoma, Missouri, Kansas, and even down into the south in parts of Arkansas, Louisiana, etc. A lot of those states saw some really wet periods, the wettest since 1895. So I think that does it really today for the news. And before we get to today's commodity markets, I wanted to share with folks that we are starting our own Global Ag Network newsletter, so go ahead and head over to globalagnetwork.com, head to the bottom of our webpage there, and go ahead and sign up. It's going to be a free weekly newsletter. We're going to have market commentary, news, pictures, stories from farmers, and more. It's going to be a -a one-of-a-kind newsletter, or so we hope. We do appreciate your feedback, so feel free to share with us your thoughts after the newsletter launches this Friday. Going ahead here and looking at the grain markets for today, red across the screen with the December corn contract down a penny and a half to close at 391 and three quarters. The March contract lost just three quarters of a cent today to close at 403 and a half. In the soybean pits, six cents was cut today from the November soybean contract to close at 928 even, while the January cut six and a quarter cent to end at 942 and a quarter. The wheat pits rallied today, even without corn and soybean leading the way. The summer contract went up six and a quarter cent to close at five thirteen and a quarter. The March went up five cents today to close at five eighteen and a quarter. 
Looking at the live cattle contract, green across the screen with the October contract up $1.35 to close at one twelve thirty-five. The December up forty-two and a half cents to close at one thirteen eighty-seven. In the feeder cattle pits, the October contract up twenty-two and a half cents to close at one forty-five twenty-two and a half. The November shed fifteen cents today to close at one forty-five ninety-two and a half. In the lean hog pits, red across the screen as the December cattle December lean hog contract, excuse me, got a dollar fifty to end at seventy sixty-two and a half. The February lost thirty cents today to close at seventy-eight eighty-five. And rounding out the markets with our Class Three dairy futures, the October contract added two cents to close at eighteen sixty-two, while the November added just a, lost just a penny to close at eighteen sixty-seven. Now for today's interview, we'll be talking to Jennifer Nelson, who is the farmland access navigator and co-owner of Humble Pie Farm. Well, we are joined today by Jennifer Nelson, who is the Farmland Access Navigator and co-owner of Humble Pie Farm. Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Delaney and Mike. Thank you for having me. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about Farmland Access Navigator and what your role is there with that. Yeah, so... So I I wear a couple of different hats. I um my primary role I am co-owner with my husband of Humble Pie Farm and we're a small diverse farm business in western Wisconsin. We grow greenhouse nursery plants, some produce and cut flowers for Twin Cities markets. And then I also work for Moses, which is the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service supports farmers in that realm, and then am a contractor through that role for renewing the countryside as a farmland access navigator. What I do is... Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah, no, no, fine. No, no please tell I us what it is you do. beginning farmers. Okay, so I support beginning farmers in finding land to rent or buy, and I offer, like, as a group, we offer technical support. We have resources of attorneys and financial support and um, and different fields. And then we also just counsel through the process on what's the next step. It can be an overwhelming process for, um, you know, children of farmers or new farmers coming into farming to try to find land. And so we we support through that whole process. So let's talk a little bit. What does that support look like? If I'm a, if I'm a young farmer interested in getting into the industry, of course, I need to have a land base to build from. How does, how does the, uh, the farmland access hub really put landowners and, and new folks together? What, what does the support look like? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a very, it can be a very individual process, but, as we know, two-thirds of all current farmland is said to change hands over the next 25 years as farmers retire. And so, and there are a lot of young farmers who want to get into it, but it is really challenging because it is so capital heavy. Um, and, and so, as a farmland access navigator, we have an intake form, and so we, we, um, we, the, 
beginning farmer will go through that intake form and then that goes to our hub and then we look at that and we figure out we have a meeting and we have some paperwork that they fill out and then we figure out where they're at in the process and how we can support them using our resources through the process so wherever they're at like like right now i'm working with some clients who um who are working with a, another farmer to take over his small grain uh, farm operation. And so they'll be purchasing some of the farm business. They'll also be purchasing some land. And so they need various resources and attorney support to, to make that happen and to represent them and to represent the farmer. And so anyway, we support in whatever need the individuals have. Does Jennifer, that make sense? Yeah, I think so. But I want to ask a little bit of a clarification point because you mentioned there you wear a lot of different hats. How does your role fit in then mm -hmm. with the National Young Farmers Coalition? Yeah, so the National Young Farmers Coalition is like parallel organization and they're a part of... Of the Farmland Access Hub, which is a steering committee of nearly two dozen program partners, and they help guide this process, like identifying um, the technical support, identifying where land is becoming available, even into as we get into um, like agriculture easements and different um, different really technical pieces of how people are preserving farmland. Um, so, so the National Young Farmers Coalition is one of those partners in that group, and they really have helped a lot of young farmers get on the land. They're, um, they, they performed a study in, in 2017 of 3,500 beginning farmers across the U.S. and identified that to beginning farmers farming was access to land. And so that's a big part of where this program, the Farmland Access Hub and my role as a navigator, that's a big part of what that came out of. So Jennifer, tell me a little bit more then about that study because that was one of the things we really hoped to chat with you about was that 2017 study, you mentioned there are 3,500 young farmers. What did this study conclude or find about just young farmers or beginning farmers and their operations. Yeah, so so they I'm sure the National Young Farmer Coalition is a great organization. There's various chapters throughout the country and I know that they would be happy to talk with you guys like really in depth on the survey. I can give you the little bit that I know. Um, so the survey was conducted in 2017 and they worked with 94 partner organizations collecting data from, from exactly 3,517 current, former, and aspiring U.S. farmers under 40 years of age. And so they really found out that um, that, that, first, that first step of just acquiring farmland was the biggest barrier. Other barriers include affordable health care, student loan debt, um, you know, some of those things that, that come into young people from going back to farming, if we can say it like that. Um, 
what else? So they so they also um, identified their at least seventy five percent of this group identified their practices as sustainable, and so it's a it's a myself and a lot of the people that we work with are not necessarily commodity farmers, but are smaller, more diverse farms that are seeking different markets um, than the commodity market. Our goal is to secure rural economic security, right? And so we want to like be putting money into these rural areas where we where we live and where we're trying to farm. And so um, so one of the ways to do that, I think, is just to get really creative with what we're growing. Absolutely. And uh, when we think about making these these changes, when we think about adaptation, it's always helpful to be able to draw from a pool of expertise. And on October 21st, there is a summit. The Upper Midwest Farmland Summit is happening. Can you tell us a little bit about what attendees could expect if they make it to the summit? Yeah, absolutely. So, so registration is open on renewingthecountryside.org. Um, like you said, Mike, it's this Monday, October 21st in Red Wing. Policymakers, seasoned farmers, beginning farmers, um, you know, just thought leaders, people who are working on this, this big um, kind of sea change, if you will, of, of land. Um, we'll be at the Upper Midwest Farming Summit, and we'll talk about the issues faced by older farmers or retiring farmers and the beginning farmers. We'll talk about strategies, like like you had said earlier, to connect them and how to keep people on the land and farmers on the land and how we can um, transition farms to be sustainable farm businesses. Well, that is certainly a lot to cover at that conference. Jennifer, before we let you go, how can uh, folks register or find out more information about attending that conference? Yeah, um, I just want to throw in too, so so you can register on renewingthecountryside.org. There's a registration link there. If you Or, or if you just Google the Upper Midwest um, Farmland Summit, there's information right there and it it tags on to the National Farm Viability Conference which is the next 2 days Tuesday and Wednesday the 22nd and 23rd and and that is a larger group of national folks um talking about new markets and um exciting ways of getting keeping people farming and getting new people farming All right well fantastic Sorry to let me go ahead Oh Jennifer, thanks so much for sharing about that with us. And hopefully we have some listeners that will be interested in attending that conference or if not, just following up on some of the resources that you've shared today. Yeah, well, thank you guys again so much for your time on this and your interest. I I have listened to your podcast and I appreciate the work that you do. Well, again, a big thank you there to Jennifer. Hopefully that conference goes well for folks next week. Folks, I want to remind you again, we're starting our weekly free Global Ag Network newsletter starting this Friday. So do head over to globalagnetwork.com to subscribe to that newsletter so you can get the latest news right into your inbox every Friday, give you a little weekend reading material. If not, do interact with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily or at Global Ag Network. 
with that, I hope everybody has a great day and I'll see you back here tomorrow.